Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. Uh, today, we have a guest from across the country. Uh, I'm in Maine, and Kenji Lopez-Alt is in California, but soon headed to Seattle. Uh, really grateful that you could take the time. It's got to be a super busy time for you with a move coming up, Kenji. Uh, and we're just <laughs> delighted to have you here. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, if folks don't know Kenji Lopez all, uh, they might know his book, The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. He's a James Beard Award winner for it uh, and a really terrific children's book called Every Night is Pizza Night. Uh, Ken, Kenji's also been uh, a restaurateur at Worstall in San Mateo, California, and a culinary advisor to Serious Eats. Uh, quite a pedigree in the world of food, Kenji. And uh, I want to start where we always start, which is where did it begin for you, the kind of the fascination with food and particularly your what seems a absolutely unique ability and gift for making the science of food accessible and understandable to folks? <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know you've got some science in your DNA. I know your, your, your family uh, on both sides uh, had science, but tell us where it started for you. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, the science side, um, you know, my grandfather on my mother's side was an, is a, um, was an organic chemist and my father um, is a, a microbiologist. Um, and so, you know, growing up, science was a big part of my education. Um, um, and, you know, as far as like explaining science uh, in useful ways uh, or, or in ways that sort of, you know, non-scientists can understand, um, you know, I grew up watching, watching Don Herbert, Mr. Wizard. Um, yeah. I, you know, I used to wake up at 6am every morning so that I could go and watch it before my parents woke up. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've always been very much into, um, understanding science on a conceptual level, um, and, and understanding and understanding sort of, um, you know, science, scientific thinking and, 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 and that sort of way of looking at the world. Um, and so for me, applying science to whatever I was doing is, has always sort of been, um, just something that I've, I've, I've done, um, as far as the cooking goes, I kind of fell into that accidentally. I was, um, it was um, the summer after my sophomore year in college, and um, I had I had spent um, a summer in high school and and the summer after my freshman year in college working in a biology lab uh, because I was a biology major, um, and I sort of came to realize that I, as much as I liked biology and sort of learning about it, um, the actual practice of lab work was not something I enjoyed. Um, it, was, it was very slow and um, I, you know, it just, I just wasn't cut out for it. Um, so I had a sort of, you know, a sort of existential crisis in college thinking like, why am I studying this thing that I, and I don't want to be stuck in this profession that, I, that I'm not going to enjoy for the next, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, and so uh, that summer after my sophomore year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to change majors. I don't know what I'm going to do this summer, but I'm going to just take it off and, and not do any kind of academic work. And so um, I went around actually looking for a job as a server um, and it just happened that one of the restaurants I walked into, um, they told me that they had a cook, a prep cook who didn't show up that morning. And so if I could start working that afternoon, <laughs> I could have a job for the summer. So that's always the but, way it works, right? That's always <laughs> how it starts. Yeah. <laughs> you, you probably hired people the same way. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yes, we, we, we certainly did. I mean, we, in the restaurant industry, you certainly do find, um, yeah, there's always people looking for work and there's always people who don't show up. So, so that does happen. That's true. Um, yeah, so I, I just kind of accidentally fell into work in a kitchen um, and I had never really cooked before in my life. Um, I, I remember the first day I was on the job, one of the prep cooks there, like literally had, had to show me how to hold a knife properly because I, was, I wasn't doing it right. 
Um, and so that was my first job working in a kitchen and I loved it. Um, so um, basically through the rest of college, um, I worked part-time in restaurants. And then uh, after graduating, um, I started working full-time in restaurants. Um, and was this in California, Kenji? Uh, no, this was in Boston. In Boston, I, I grew, okay. I, yeah, I grew up, I grew up in New York. Um, okay. Went to school in Boston. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so then I was working in restaurants for a number of years after college. Um, and, you know, that, that's sort of where I started, um, you know, there, there were shows like Good Eats that were coming out and, um, and you know, and I, I had like Harold McGee's book. And so I started getting more of an interest in, um, in, in food science um, and, and working in restaurants. I always wanted to ask, like, why are we doing it this way? Like, would it be better to do it this way? Why don't we do it like this, et cetera, et cetera. But a restaurant is not really... Um, the most conducive environment to, um, to questioning and, and learning those kinds of things, um, because most of the time, you're, you know, you're focused on production and you're focused on, on, on other things that are more important for a restaurant. Um, and so as I was working in these places, I, I kind of had this running list of questions in my own head, like why, you know, like this is I'm writing, not even, not even in my head, I was actually writing them down, like why, why, why do we fry these potatoes twice? Would, would we be able to boil them and fry them? All, you know, all these questions that I had and, um, and eventually, um, I realized, you know what, I'm not going to get these answers working in a restaurant. Um, and I sort of started to look elsewhere and I thought, well, maybe food writing could be a thing. And, and it turned out again, like I had, a, I had a friend who said who was reading a newspaper, like a physical newspaper in those days, um, who was reading a physical newspaper and saw an advertisement for a test cook position um, at Cook's Illustrated magazine, which was in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, sure. And my friend, you know, my friend knew that I had this, I had this issue and like, you know, that I was constantly asking these questions about food and trying to find answers in books and magazines. Um, and so he sent that to me. Um, I applied for that job and I got it. And that was sort of the, that was sort of the ideal job for me. You know, this, it, it, it finally was, I was at this position where I was sort of getting paid to, it became my job to answer, to do these things that I would love to do, which is explore food and, and figure out how to cook um, and why we do things a certain way. Um, and it was also sort of my first experience um exposure really to, to home cooking and to um, sort of the, the issues that home cooks face. Um, because up until then, all my experience cooking was in restaurants, which is a very, very different thing from home cooking. Um, and, and, you know, Cooks Illustrated t- takes a really interesting approach to that, where it's, it's very much sort of science-based and it's very much based on um, surveys and getting data from their readers and figuring out what, what the exact problems people are facing when they're cooking at home is, um, so that we can really try you know, really hone in on those problems and tackle them. Um, and, um, and that's sort of been my thing since <laughs> ever since then, um, you know, I, I left Cooks Illustrated, uh, I don't remember 10, 10, 11 years ago, maybe even longer. Um, and was at serious seats for a while. Um, I, you know, I started writing my food lab column there that eventually became a book. Um, and so, you know, for me, my passion for the last 15 years has been, um, figuring out, why, you know, figuring out the why, the hows and whys of cooking um, and trying to translate those uh, into sort of um, words and techniques that are um, that are actually useful for home cooks and, and, and helping people understand um, cooking through, you know, from sort of first principles. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's the reason um, there has been such a, um, a positive reaction to that tech, to, to that method um, is that I think, you know, especially in people in my generation and maybe even in current generations um, that there are a lot of people who grew up without, um, um, without, you know, I had, I had a mother who cooked, but she, she, she was an immigrant and she tried to cook a lot of sort of American foods. She came from Japan. Um, she cooked a lot of American foods and think, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a very strong sort of, I don't have a strong cultural identity with food. 
Um, and I think there's a lot of kids um, in sort of my generation who maybe had two working parents, you know, who didn't grow up cooking and didn't grow up um, with a with a strong connection to a, to a particular cuisine or a particular set of techniques. Um, and so there's a lot of people who then once they got to college or further had never really cooked much in their life. Um, and and so I think the approach that I took, which is, um, you know, a sort of technique based and science based approach where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, where in the world you're from. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of food you're interested in. Like these are sort of the these are sort of um, scientific principles and, and you know principles of thermodynamics and chemistry and whatever that that are going to help you understand cooking, um, whatever kind of cooking you want to do. Um, so you know, so I think there are, there is like um, which you know, and, and none of this, of course, is to downplay the importance of um, you know culture and history and family and all those things um, in, in food. Um, but I think um, my 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 stuff has been particularly appearing, appealing to those kinds of people, people who are, um, you know, post-college and, and really learning to cook for the first time in their life. And what was the progression from uh, the blog to the book? Because there's a lot of bloggers, but not everybody has a New York Times bestseller that wins a James Beard <laughs> Award. How did that happen? Um, well, so my, I, I started writing the, the column, The Food Lab. Um, the first one I wrote was about boiling eggs. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, over the next three months or so, it became one of the most popular columns on, on, on serious eats. Um, and so, you know, and so it was getting like hundreds of hundreds of thousands of views, the, the articles I was writing, um, and the founder of serious eats at Levine, um, his wife happens to be a literary agent. Um, and so he, you know, he said to me, Hey, Kenji, you know, this, this is like something interesting and unique. Um, you should turn this into a book. Um, and let my wife represent you. And so, um, and so I, you know, I said, okay, uh, I had no idea. And so I, I, you know, I spent the next couple months writing a proposal um, and, you know, um, people just really liked it, I guess. Um, you know, it, it, it went through a normal, the normal process of we, my, my agent, Vicky, she showed it around to various publishers. Um, you know, at some point, Cooks Illustrated wanted to um, buy the rights to it from me and pay me a sort of a flat fee to, produce it as a Cook's Illustrated book, um, which uh, I was very tempted to do, but <laughs> I think in the end it was the right decision not to do that um, um, because, um, well, because Cook's Illustrated, you know, has this sort of voice and, 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 and this is sort of, you know, verbal sausage factory where whatever a writer sounds like it goes through this sausage maker and it comes out as this Cook's Illustrated sausage. Um, but, so, you know, I think one of the things I liked about writing the book was that I could um, I could use my own voice and I could, I could put dumb jokes in it and I could do, you know, do all the things that sort of, um, make writing fun for me to read, you know? So like, you know, when, when I was writing the book and, and also when I'm writing my columns, um, I, I spend an awful lot of time reading non food writing, um, just sort of writing that I find funny and engaging and humorous, um, to sort of figure out, okay, like why, why did I think that was funny? And, and, and so I spent a lot of time working on, 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 on making my, my food writing, um, interesting to interesting to read um, and fun to read for even for people who aren't necessarily into food. Um, so I think that's part of what you know what made the the column successful um, and definitely part of what made the book successful because I think there's um, I mean I've, I've heard from many people who have the book that that um, it's the only cookbook they've had that they read from front to back that they've read from front to back. I've read I've heard from people that they own the book and they read it all the time but they've never cooked anything out of it, which I think is I don't know I think it's pretty cool <laughs> honestly because you know I think. That was, that was sort of a lesson that Ed at Serious Eats taught me early on is that 
no matter what kind of story you're, you're no matter what you're writing about, whether it's about a, a restaurant review or you're writing about a, um, you know, a culture piece or, or a recipe piece, it has to be good, engaging writing. And it has to be, it has to be a story first. Um, and then the information sort of comes second. Um, so, you know, it's to me, to me, it's kind of like, um, you know, hiding the broccoli and the mac macaroni and cheese where it's like, um, I, I try and write, I try and write stories that are engaging people to, on, on a, just a, a sort of pure storytelling level. Um, and then the science lessons are kind of folded into that. So the two things I, I want to ask you about the book, about the food lab is if, you know, if somebody hasn't read it, uh, I'm really curious as to how you describe for them what they're going to take away from it. Uh, and then I'm really interested in, uh, for folks who have read it, what kind of feedback do you get? How do they say it's impacted uh, them? Well, so so if you haven't read it, um, it's it's a book that is, um, I mean, the, the subtitle is Better Home Cooking Through Science. Um, and really, it's a book that um, teaches you sort of the basics of food science, um, but written, for, um, written sort of through the lens of um, classic American and um, American dishes and, you know, dishes that are that are common in the American repertoire. So, you know, there's a section about um, meatloaf, but when you're reading about meatloaf, it's, it's about meatloaf, but really it's about the difference in, um, in protein composition between beef and pork and veal and how, how each one of those is going to affect the final product, you know, and so then once you understand that, then you can get a better understanding of why um, a, a ragu bolognese works or why meatballs work. Um, so, you know, they, it's, it's, it's really um, sort of science lessons that are written through the lens of these common American foods, macaroni and cheese, hamburgers, meatloaf, all these things. Um, and so, you know, I think my, my hope that people reading it, what they, what I hope they come away with is, um, more confidence in the kitchen. You know, uh, I, I always, I, I, I say that like, you know, following a recipe is, um, is the equivalent of like getting your phone out, getting turn by turn directions to the place and then just staring at the phone screen as you walk from one place to the other without really paying attention to where you are or getting a better, you know, full, full, a full picture of the neighborhood. Um, and, you know, so that's useful because it'll get you from point A to point B, but you're kind of trapped by it. You don't, you don't have the freedom to explore. Um, and if something goes wrong along the way, say one of the streets is closed, um, you can't, you, just staring at your phone, you're not going to be able to figure out how to get around that obstacle. Um, whereas once you understand um, sort of the technique and science and the why of why you're, why you're doing certain steps and recipes or why there's a certain ratio of ingredients, um, that's sort of like having a map where... You know, it's like, I know I'm going to get from point A to point B. The recipe is suggesting I take this route. But, hey, you know, there's there's point C over there that's that looks a little bit more interesting to me. So maybe I'll try and go there instead. Um, and so once you understand the, the technique and science behind cooking, it, it sort of frees you in the kitchen from recipes and allows you to, um, I think, be more expressive. Um, you know, one, one of the things that I, I, I've heard, I've heard mixed, mixed reactions from people um, about that sort of concept in the book. And I think there's some people who see science as, um, sort of antithetical and the opposite of, of, you know, cooking with science is sort of the opposite of like cooking with soul or cooking with cooking the food of your people or cooking with your culture, or cooking whatever, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're cooking with heart, whatever it is that you, you want to say. And I, I think it's, um, I think it's the opposite. You know, I think the more you understand the science and the technique behind it, then the more, the, the better your ability to get out what's inside you, you know, it's like, um, it's like if you're a, um, if you're a musician, you know, there, there are great musicians who never learn how to read music who don't know what a scale is, um, sure. But um, if you're a musician, like, 
practicing your instrument and, and learning where to put your fingers and learning how to learn learning those skills and learning the the shapes of your hand uh, finger positions and stuff like that like all that stuff nobody would argue that that's going to make you a worse position musician you know practicing and understanding those things makes you a more expressive musician because it lets you take what's in your head and, and bring it out into the world more easily so um, i think you know I, I i like to think of food in the same way where um yeah, the better, the better understanding you have of the science, the technique behind it, the more subtly you can control the outcome, um, and therefore the better, um, the more the more able to express yourself you are. Um, and of course, you know, like not all cooking has to be free. The cooking is is as much functional as it is expressive. It probably, if in most cases, it's probably more more about its functionality than its expression. Um, and and you know, understanding science and technique can also make you a more functional cook. Um, you know, feedback I've gotten from the book is has been. Um, positive you know <laughs> um, lots of people say that it got them interested in cooking like people were intimidated to cook because they'd never cooked in their lives um and this got them to you know to look at cooking in a different way that they suddenly understood um which i you know i think is that that's sort of the best kind of feedback where um you know i i think a lot a lot of the problems we have um as far as um you know nu nutrition and um, and environmental impact of food and all these things, I think comes a, a lot of it comes from people not really paying attention to what they're putting in their bodies or how, how it got there, or how it got to the plate or, and, you know, and I think anything that gets people to cook um, and pay a little bit more attention to, to their food and think about what they're doing. I think all of that sort of naturally leads to them thinking more about um, exactly what they're putting in their bodies. And, and you know, it, 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 the, the more you think about what you're eating, the better, the better um, you are equipped to, I think, make healthy choices for both yourself and for the for the world. So it's always it's always encouraging to me to hear people say that the book got them cooking more. Um, you know, the, the the only sort of negative um, sides I see of the book are that um, there are um, there there are sort of these um, you know I call them fanboys. You know, and, and they exist I think in everything in every sort of you know there's Star Wars fanboys, there's Beatles fanboys, there's there's fanboys for everything where um, they kind of, you know, gatekeep and they use it as, and they use knowledge as a way to put other people down. Um, and so sometimes I see people doing that, especially online where um, somebody will post a picture of their hamburger and they'll say, why did you make the hamburger that way? Like in, Kenji said this in the food lab and they'll quote some article I wrote about hamburgers and tell them and, and use that as sort of ammunition about why, you know, trying to say they did something wrong or, or their hamburger can't be good because I wrote this thing once. And so that always kind of, bothers me and I try anytime I see that I try and sort of call them out and be like hey that's that's not really the point like um, like you know the point the point of knowledge should never be to put other people down um and and, and Kenji, how that, much of it how, how much of it was in terms of what you were just describing about when people know more about food and the way it works and where it comes from they're more sensitive to the environment and these nutritional issues how much of that was part of your ambition for the book or did that just uh, was that just a great um, byproduct? It's, everything is a byproduct. Um, uh, the the ambition for the column when I started writing it and, and the book was I want to I'm, I'm doing this because I enjoy it and if you know that, that was that was really the column in a nutshell. It's like I'm going to write three thousand words about hard boiled eggs because I've always been interested in about what make what factors go into how easily an egg is peeled and that's just something I'm interested in. So I'm going to. I'm going to spend a week, you know, boiling eggs, boil a few hundred eggs, peel them, give, get the data, um, come up with some conclusions. Like, I'm, I'm just going to do these things because I have fun doing it. Um, and if people want to read it, great. And if not, then, you know, at least I got to do something I enjoy. Um, 
And so it's sort of the same with the book. It's like, I, you know, I want, I'm going to write the book that I want to write. I'm going to write, I'm going to write the book that I enjoy writing and a book that I think I would have found useful um, to read for myself when I was younger. Um, uh, and if people like it, then that's great. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, and it, I, you know, so in that sense, I consider myself you know, extremely, extremely lucky because there's, um, you know, I, I work hard, but there's a lot of people who work hard who, who don't um, get, you know, who don't get this opportunity to turn something that they really enjoy into, um, into a career. And I feel like you, uh, not only do you work hard, but I feel like uh, your work is, uh, is original. Uh, and so, you know, I read a lot of food writing and I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, do you, I feel like you don't have any competition in this space. You're, you, you've kind of created the space. Well, I mean, certain, you know, certain, certainly I didn't create the idea of, of food science for home cooks. You know, um, Harold McGee and Alton Brown and, and Cooks Illustrated were all doing this before, before I did. Um, and, and there's a number of good books that have come up since then. In fact, um, the, the Flavor Equation by Nick Sharma um, just came out like a week ago. Um, I, well, I don't know when this podcast is going out, but it came, it, it came out in um, uh, October. Um, wonderful, wonderful book. Um, um, he's actually a series he's contrib contributor as well, but um, he goes much deeper into the science than, than, than I do. Um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's no competition. Um, I, I guess I don't really consider other writers to be competition because I think the more information out there, the, the better always. Um, and, and the more um, people are interested in this kind of stuff, I think um, the more, you know, just, just the more people who are cooking and, and thinking thought thoughtfully about the way they cook, the, the better. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the book, the food lab probably did sort of, um, inspire a lot more, um, or at least inspire a lot of publishers to take a chance on food science books. Um, um, which I think is, which I think is great. Um, yeah. and then, uh, and then your, your daughter, who's now four, you said came along and, and was that, uh, an impetus, uh, behind every night is pizza night? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that, you know, again, that was, that was one of those things where it's like, I'm going to write this book for my daughter. Um, I'm going to write it because I'm interested in writing a kid's book and I, and I want to write something for my daughter. And if, if, uh, if people want to also read it, then, um, then great. So it, that, you know, you know, when, when my daughter was born, I, um, um, I stopped working full time. Um, so I, I stopped writing. I stopped, um, um, I stopped, I stopped working in serious seats. Um, so that, um, you know, so I was a sort of stay at home dad for, a while um and um that yeah that was you know that was the time when i started thinking hey you know writing a kid's book um would be fun uh and i've always i've always loved i've always loved kids books um I, you know i very fondly remember reading them when i was a kid and i was reading them to my daughter so i thought it would be fun and it would also be a good it would be sort of a good excuse for me to um order you know 200 kids books from amazon so i can uh, so i can read them all or, or take them out from the library and and it, it was a fun project for me, both to research and, and to write. Um, very difficult, you know, surprisingly difficult to write a, <laughs> to write a children's book. But um, did you but, test uh, it out on? Did you test it out on your daughter as you wrote? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, not not the very very earliest drafts. Um, you know, the, the writing a children's book, uh, and it's. I found it more difficult to write a children's book than I did to write the food lab. It, it wasn't as time consuming as the food lab, but. Um, 
was it, just getting the, is it is it about getting the tone right or why was it yeah, so hard? well a lot of a lot of it is about getting the is, is about getting the voice right you know um and you know find, finding voice is something that um a lot of writers have struggled with and i certainly struggled with early on um and you know finding your voice is one of those things where you just have to do it over you, you just have to put in the time and, and practice writing and 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 really do it until until it kind of clicks you know it's like i think i feel like it's sort of like riding a bike where once you get once you find your voice you're like oh that's it that feels natural. Um, and so I had found that voice pretty early on in food writing and I've been writing that voice for a long time. Um, and, but then, yeah, switching over to, to a children's book, figuring out the, the voice um, for a children's book, is, I, I think is much harder because you have to, um, it, it has to be appealing on multiple levels. You know, it has to be appealing to children, but as a parent, I know that like, there are some books that kids love that parents just hate to read and kids are gonna ask you to read the book over and over and over again. So I think to have a successful Children's book it has to be appealing to the children, but it also has to be not annoying for the parents to read. Um, and so, and for me, you know, I think the best children's books are ones that are um, that kids like, but also have like funny bits and jokes that the parents will get that um, that will make them want to continue reading it. Um, so, finding finding that balance, but then you also have to have like a good a, a good message um, and, and a good and a good theme, and you have to be able to do that without sort of being preachy and without being too over over the head over. The, hitting you over the head with it. Um, it's just, a, there's just a lot of balancing going on uh, in terms of finding that voice. And then, and then of course, there's also the fact that like, you know, I'm used to writing online where there's no real space limits. And if I, if I want to write, you know, 10,000 words about soup, I can. Um, if, there, if, if I think that there's 10,000 words worth of things to write, I can do it. Um, whereas writing for a kid's book, um, you have like a thousand words to tell a story, right? Um, and, that, and that's even on the longer end for a children's book. You, you have a thousand words to tell a story, and the story has to have a structure. It has to have um, a, a protagonist that you that you connect with, that you understand their motivations. Um, it has to it has to have a beginning, middle, and end, um, it, and and it has to have a, a theme and messaging. And so all that you know, just just the efficiency of word use, um, and you know, and then those words have to be appealing to kids. They also have to be funny. They have to be, it's just a lot a lot of um, fine tuning. Um, so. You know, the, the first draft of the story that I wrote was 10,000 words um, because I, I, I figured, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write the story with all the messages and all the themes that I want in, in there um, so that at least uh, <clears throat> I, can, I can make sure that structurally the story works. And then um, from there, um, you know, cut it down and, and edit it and edit um, and, and sort of cut, cut down the complexity of the plot and all, all, all these different things. But it, 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 it's a lot of work to, <laughs> to get a story down to that many words. Um, and Short, shorter is harder. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Always. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, Kenji, in addition to um, wanting to thank you for being on the podcast, I have to thank you for also generously supporting uh, share our strengths work. I don't know how much of this you'll remember, but uh, I know a few years ago, somebody published recipes of yours and Andrew Zimmern's without permission. Mm -hmm. And in the resulting uh, suit for the royalties, uh, you donated them to us, to our No Kid Hungry campaign. Mm -hmm. So very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, I <laughs> well, first of all, thank, I mean, thank you for all that you do. Um, that that to me seemed sort of the best solution for everything because you know some someone publishing your recipes without permission like it's 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 not a nice thing but it, but also you know going back to what I was talking about before at the end of the day like if it's getting more people cooking then great but you also don't want to you also don't want to sort of encourage that kind of behavior so I think um, <laughs> and being able to being able to um, 
get the message out that, hey, it's not cool to steal other people's recipes and publish them, um, while at the same time, um, you know, supporting supporting a good cause and getting, um, you know, getting publicity for what you do and then also getting, you know, getting money for what you do, I think, um, was, it was, it was a good solution for everyone all around. And I think, it, I think it made everyone feel good about um, the, you know, lawsuits are not fun. And, um, no. Uh, and, and I, I, I never, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm like my, money is not a big motivator for me. And so, um, um, but I know, you know, but I know how, of course, how useful it can be for, um, for, for, for many situations. Um, so well, it made a, it, was, it made a big difference for us, obviously, and translated directly into our ability to get, you know, school meals to kids, which mm-hmm. we're now in the midst of this pandemic doing at a, at a level of support, you know, unprecedented, but, uh, even pre-pandemic, uh, we were leading the effort to make sure kids that were eligible for school breakfast were getting at summer meals and, uh, and your dollars really helped do that. And I'm told by colleagues, I don't know if this is a real time issue or not. You can tell us uh, that you're also selling a salt cellar from which a portion of the pro- proceeds are going to benefit uh, share strengths, no kid hungry campaign. Yeah, I actually have a couple things going on right now that I'm, that um, I'm hoping will benefit share strength. Um, so yes, one of them is a salt cellar that um, I've been working on with, um, uh, Brad Leone, he, um, he and his, uh, he has a woodworking company, woodshop. Um, so it's a salt cellar that, uh, I have, um, I have this salt cellar that shows up in my YouTube videos that people always ask me about. And I, and I got it from, um, a friend, um, almost two decades ago, um, and no idea where you can get anything similar to it now. So we're building sort of a replica out of it. Um, and we're going to be selling it. Um, and, um, so, uh, my share of the proceeds for that are going to go to, are going to, um, are, are going to go to you. Wow. Um, Thank you. The um, the other thing is that I um, uh, if you buy any of my books, um, so the Food Lab, um, Every Night is Pizza Night, or this year uh, 2020 edition of Best American Food Writing, um, if you buy them from bookshop.org, so you go to bookshop.org/shop/kenji-lopez-alt. Um, if you buy any of the books from there, um, first of all, 10% of the the um, the revenue from that goes to independent bookshops around the country, which I think is great, um, and then. A further ten percent, which is my sales commission, is going to, is going to um, at the end of the year, I'm going to be donating that to um, No Kid Hungry as well. Oh, um, and um, and oh, with that salt seller thing as well, um, there, there's it's a very limited number of them because they're all being hand produced. Um, but I'm planning on keeping a couple of them um, and signing them and auctioning them also um, to to help raise a little bit more um, a little bit more money. So well, every, a, few, a few different projects going on. Everything you've just described is such a great example of how uh, people uh, with talents like yours can literally share their strength and do it in a way that benefits a lot of other folks they may never meet, may never get a chance to thank them, but uh, could really change lives. So thanks for doing that. Thank you. Uh, Would love to get a, uh, how much can you tell us about uh, the next book? There's always a next book with a writer as talented as you. Uh, You're probably reluctant to say too much about it, but can you give us any, any hints? Oh yeah, um, yeah, I'm happy to share about it. Um, I'm I'm finishing the writing. I'm, t- I'm supposed to turn the manuscript. Um, maybe by the time this podcast is out, the manuscript will be in. Um, I'm I'm finishing it up right now, um, but it's a book about uh, cooking in a wok. Um, so you know, in, in the food lab, there's a there's a section at the beginning of the book where I talk about how the wok is the most useful pan in the kitchen, and I use it all the time, and um, and then I never mention it again in the rest of the book, um, and. So, like, I always think of that as sort of like the the Chekhov's gun of the food lab, where um, I introduced it in the first stack and then I never use it. Uh, and, and you know, and the reason for that was because the food lab actually got cut down. There was a whole chapter on cooking things in a wok, and 
we ended up cutting that um, towards the end of production because the book was just getting too big. Um, and so um, we're like, you know, someday maybe we'll turn some of these chapters that we cut into another book. Um, so there was going to be a Food Lab Volume 2 of which Cooking in a Walk is part of it. And I started writing that walk section and it got up to like several hundred pages and I still had only sort of scratched the surface. So I told my publisher, hey, you know, instead of doing this book that just has sort of the odds and ends that didn't make it the first book, why don't we write, why don't we expand this walk section into a whole book because there's more than enough material for that. So um, yeah, so it'll be a book about everything you can do in a walk. Um, so not, you know, it's not a Chinese cookbook. It's not a Thai cookbook. It's not, you know, not any one particular tradition. It's, um, it's more just a, um, a technique cookbook where it, it teaches you all the different techniques you can use on your, in, uh, in your walk. Um, um, it's designed for home cooks. So you don't have to have like a restaurant grade burner. You can do it on an electric stovetop, all, all, all the techniques in the book. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be sort of similar to the food lab in terms of its tone um, and its focus on technique and science over just recipes. Um, uh, let's see, it's, it's shaping up to probably be around seven or eight, seven to 800 pages, um, around 250 pages. Wow. Uh, 250 what are the uh right now uh the working title is the walk recipes and techniques okay um but um we're that's probably what it's going to be we haven't um we haven't decided for sure yet fantastic um i have to ask you i know we're running out of time but um you know sheriff strength's headquartered in uh washington dc but i uh live in boston and commute from there so what were what was uh, the favorite boston restaurant that you worked for I know you were at a couple of them. Um, the favorite I worked for, um, well, you know, my my, so my my very first restaurant job was at was a I was a um, prep cook and then uh, then got promoted to um, night of the round grill at Fire and Ice. Oh, <laughs> okay. Is, um, um, that was my very first restaurant job. But um, that's Jim Miller. Uh, is he the, is he the founder? I, I, I think I, he's the founder and owner. He was also the guy who who uh, founded Steve's Ice Cream. Oh. Really? I, yeah. that, I thought that was Steve Harrell, or was were they partners? Or? They were partners, and then oh, Jim, okay. uh, and there's still two fire and ices. Uh, I think he's closed one, and he's kept one open. Huh? Yeah, I, I worked at the one on Church Street. In I'll be darned. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I, I you know my my two I think the two greatest influences I had out of coming out of Boston were Barbara Lynch. So I worked at Number Nine Park. Um, yeah. As well as um, I was with her when she opened um, the butcher shop and B and G oysters in the South End. Um, but you know back when the South End was sort of just starting to get gentrified. Um, I know it's a very different scene there now, um, but I worked with her and then I worked with um, Ken Oranger um, for a number of years at um, Clio and Uni. And then, uh, and then I worked at, at Toro when he opened it as well. Um, Toro is still going strong as well. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm currently sitting in a little cottage in Maine, Kenji, that is uh, less than a quarter mile from a terrific restaurant that Ken opened maybe 10 oh, years Earth. ago, uh, called Earth at Hidden Pond. Uh, yeah, in, that's uh, in Kennebunkport, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we came up here to kind of ride out the pandemic. We've had a, a little cottage here for a, a number of years. but um, and, and, and Ken now, I think, is out of Earth. But um, for many years, we would see him there every night we went. And he's been a big supporter of Share Our Strength uh, as well. So, oh, I'm really glad to know of that connection. That's terrific. Yeah. Terrific. Um, Thank you so much for this opportunity to catch up with you. I know you're getting ready to move. I hope you'll find ways to stay involved with Share Our Strength, the, the, the way you give voice to these issues, your generosity. Uh, we really need you. Um, as you know, many of your colleagues in the 
in the culinary community have been incredibly generous and uh, you've been a, a leader in that for us. And we're just so grateful. And I hope as you settle uh, into your next community, uh, we'll find ways to, to stay in touch. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, we've been talking to Kenshi Lopez-Alt. Uh, he's the author of The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science, and a terrific children's book, Every Night is Pizza Night. Uh, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir, and you can find other episodes on our website, addpassionandstir.com, to rate them and rank us and share them with friends who care about food, passion, and changing the world. On behalf of the entire team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign and our producer, Paul Woodle at District Productive, uh, thanks for listening. I'm Billy Shore. Mm-hmm.